Tech Talk. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. With One Sonic. High definition audio noise cancelling headphones designed in Ireland. Visit onesonic.com. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Tech Talk. Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, we'll hear how e-scooter legislation will transform transportation in our cities. John Riley will review the latest Forza Horizon game and I'll speak with the country lead of Alcatel and TCL. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. And we're going to start the show this week with e-scooters. I feel like we've been talking about this story for a very long time, but legislation is finally on the way. I'm joined now by Paddy O'Brien from Loco and Charlie Gleeson of Zip Mobility to talk through what this will mean when it comes to moving around our cities. Um, You're both very welcome to the show. Before we talk through what each of you do, Charlie, can you just start by bringing us up to speed on the legislation? Sure. So e-scooters are currently being legalised across Ireland and they're going to be classified as powered personal transporters uh, what we will expect to see is that electric scooters are going to be classed fairly closely to bicycles. So we expect that scooters uh, will be you know, allowed to ride on, on the roads and in cycle lanes and cycle paths. They will be kept off the footpaths away from pedestrians. Uh, we don't expect that helmets will be uh, a legal requirement. Uh, however, like we would strongly advise that people do wear helmets when riding an electric scooter. Um, timelines, you know, my guess is as good as anyone's. But I would expect that legislation uh, will be introduced around March. That would be my best guess. Okay, and tell us a little bit about um, the company that you are CEO of, because we've spoken to you before here on the show, but just give people a reminder. Yeah, sure. So I'm the CEO of Zip Mobility. So Zip is a Dublin-based scooter sharing company. Um, But as there's kind of a gray area in the legislation, we currently operate scooter sharing schemes uh, in five locations across the UK. And over the summer, we were actually launching across mainland Europe as well, uh, starting with Poland. Um, But yeah, look, launching on our home soil was kind of why we got going. And we're really excited to finally do that next year. Uh, We employ around 30 people at the moment. um, So we've had decent growth in the last kind of 12 to 18 months. um, But yeah, really excited to, to launch in the Irish market. And Paddy, tell us a little bit about um, your company and what it is that you guys do. Yeah, so uh, my name is Paddy O'Brien and I'm a co-founder of Loco Scooters Limited. And we have been around in one form or another since January 2019. Uh, we retail, repair, maintain electric scooters. And kind of recently out of, you know, kind of listening to what customers are asking us and, and what people are looking for, we've moved into the e-bike uh, sphere as well. So we now do kind of servicing and repairs and sales of electric bikes. Um Kind of in the past few years, myself and my co-founder Jason have lived abroad in, in cities like San Francisco, Amsterdam, Melbourne, and we've seen kind of how micromobility can improve the lives of people in, the, in those kind of cities. And we kind of come back here from our travels and we kind of want to, to, to bring that kind of thinking to Ireland and help people to change the way that we travel across the country. Yeah, and I think, as I said at the top, I'm a big fan of these solutions because I think they make perfect sense. They're ideal for people like me who live in a city, don't drive, and want to have sort of a hybrid approach to how I travel to work. So it would be the dream for me if I could get the Lewis so far in, jump off when it gets super busy, and then jump on my scooter the rest of the way. Um, Charlie, talk us through 
some of the the barriers that have been up to get us to where we are now because I feel like I've been talking about this story and the promise of legislation for about 105 years now. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I started Zip in, in, I suppose, January 2019 was when I started, like, you know, putting together the business plan. And at that time, I was meeting with councillors across the country who were kind of saying, yeah, look, hopefully it's going to be in, you know, the autumn legislative programme. This was in 2019. And I was meeting with the same people who were saying the same thing in 2021. So it's definitely been a bit of a slow burner. Um, I think it's just, it just hasn't really been a priority. And COVID definitely didn't help. Um, you know, in the UK, for example, uh, e-scooters were legalized uh, as a response to COVID. So uh, e-scooter sharing schemes were introduced because public transport capacity was in so much trouble and they needed to get people moving in a socially distanced manner. And they actually legalized e-scooters uh, on the back of that. Whereas in Ireland, you know, around the time when, when uh, COVID was um, first, you know, here in Ireland, we didn't really have a properly formed government. So, um, yeah, so there's just been, the timing's been difficult. Um, and I think it's just, it just hasn't necessarily been a priority, but I think everyone's kind of waking up to the climate crisis now. You know, Dublin is one of the most congested cities in the world. Uh, it's one of the slowest city centres in the world as well. And the goal of electric scooters and, and scooter sharing in particular is to replace car journeys. Um, you know, around one in three scooter sharing journeys um, do replace a car or would have been a car if that scooter sharing option hadn't been there. So uh, people are kind of waking up now and I think the government are are, are understanding the the real impact and learning from other european cities that scooter sharing um can can make a, a huge difference to uh heavily congested cities and and uh, make public transport more accessible so that's kind of what we're trying to do and um yeah i think i i know we've been waiting for a very very long time um for e-scooter legislation but i genuinely believe it's only around the corner now so yeah really excited Paddy, you mentioned there about looking at examples overseas. So I think you mentioned, you know, Australia. I've been to the States quite a few times and there are certain cities where scooter sharing services and scooters in general are so prominent. When you look elsewhere around the world, is Ireland massively behind in terms of legislating and supplying these types of um, mobility? I think in in a grander scheme, um... Ireland tends to, to take its lead from, from the UK and, and other international cities um, or international countries. I think we can tend to be a little bit behind. Um, but like when we look at like cities like Sydney, they have electric scooter sharing schemes in operation there a number of years. Like you see companies like Lime and Bird in operation there. They, they, they have come uh, not without their share of problems too. And Charlie talked to you a little bit about this, but I think something that we see internationally is... Uh, a problem that we see internationally is kind of scooters from a shared scheme being discarded across the streets and footpaths and stuff like that. But you've got like responsible sharing schemes like ZIP then that implement AI technologies to uh, enforce kind of compliance with regulations and make sure that people are using them responsibly. Charlie, I'll tell you a little bit more about that. Yeah, Charlie, sure, do because yeah. I, I'm really interested in this because this is one of the big issues that I came across. I think I was in Nashville, I want to say. And I was taking a picture and I stood back to take the picture and nearly broke my neck falling over a scooter. It wasn't my glam- most glamorous moment, but it is a real issue when they are just discar- discarded on the footpath. It is. It's a huge issue. So I kind of want to start by saying that Zip, you know, we, we, we were founded, we only launched in 2020. Uh, scooter sharing has been around since kind of 2017. Uh, I was really interested in the industry and I was fascinated by the level of growth, but also recognize yet yeah, that there are massive problems in the industry, parking being one of the biggest ones. 
So Zip was founded with this mantra of mobility done right, trying to solve the industry's biggest problems. So if we look at parking, for example, um, yeah, scooters are generally, you're allowed to pick up and drop off the scooters anywhere uh, with scooter sharing schemes. Whereas with Zip, you have to pick them up from a designated parking bay and drop them back to a designated parking bay. Um, and you know the, the scooter litter problem that we're talking about, like you said, you nearly tripped up over one yourself, but could you imagine pe elderly people or people with visual impairments they're disproportionately affected by poor, poor scooter parking. So it's really, really important. You know, scooter sharing schemes, uh, typically, you know, some of the larger operators or some of the people that have grown quickly, they care about the user. And the user is very important. But when you're introducing a transport system into a city, you really need to take into account every type of person in that town or city and every single stakeholder. It's not just the user. You have to uh, take into account, you know, how the council feel about it, how the general public feel about it, and how people with disabilities or people uh, or, or elderly people uh, feel about the schemes as well, because it does affect everyone. Um, so yeah, I think parking is, is really, really important, and I would expect in Ireland for there to be pretty stringent parking measures, especially in areas with high high footfall. So the city centre, for example, uh, will definitely have a pretty pretty strict parking regulations. I'd imagine. Yeah, which is good to hear. Um, another point I want to talk about is the infrastructure that we have. So our roads and our cycle pads and our foot pads and all the rest, are they really up to the standard required to have e-scooters? I took Kieran Cudahy from the hard shoulder um, out on my e-scooter a few months back to do a report. And one of the things I was worried about was that if he went over a pothole of which there are many particularly in Dublin city centre on a cycle track I could damage the presenter of our drive time show which isn't great bikes obviously have the bigger wheels so they're able to cope but talk to me a little bit Charlie about how prepped our city is from a physical infrastructure point of view yeah like I think um you know our scooters would have like the shared scooters anyway would they're kind of built to they're they're a little bit bigger than your average scooter anyway they kind of weigh around 30 kilos um, and yeah the wheels are a small bit bigger but that being said infrastructure is really really important um i think that a lack of in like there's kind of two sides to the coin where there's great infrastructure there's a and, and a great cycling culture people adopt them really quickly and people use them really really you know it doesn't take long for people to start using them and and uh, using them every day um where the infrastructure is a little bit, uh, you know, less developed. It can be harder to get people on them in the first instance, but sometimes there's a better use case. Um, so like, even if we talk about our public transport and our public transport infrastructure in Ireland, it's quite separated. You've got the bus over here, the Lewis over there and the Dart somewhere else, you know what I mean? Uh, so shared scooters and scooters in general can kind of, um, as I said, make public transport more accessible and kind of fill the gaps that our current transport system uh, don't feel like obviously we've got plans for the metro and things like that but you know these plans are 10 years away uh, and we need short-term solutions to make um to make public transport more accessible and, and this you know so i think that shared scooters and, and regular scooters for personal use uh, are a short-term or can be a short-term solution that uh, kind of helps a lack of infrastructure if that makes sense Paddy, the, the point on the the shared scooters uh, being a bit more durable, maybe, maybe they are designed to kind of cover more miles and so on. When people, when the average person goes out to buy a scooter, because I am seeing them everywhere. I'm seeing the Xiaomi one in particular. That's the one that I have. I see it pretty much everywhere. Are these uh, devices that people can go out and buy themselves 
are they fit for purpose, the ones that are on sale right now? Or should we hold out until the legislation comes in and until the next generation of scooters become available? Yeah, so we, we typically chat to people. We run a repair centre in Dublin 15, so we get a chance to chat to, to, to real users of electric scooters about what they see as the shortcomings of the scooter that they own personally. And we can see like uh, when a scooter comes in that particular brands will have damage that has been caused by them just not being robust enough for the use that they're getting. So yeah, the Xiaomi range is brilliant. It's a little bit on the the light side. The batteries are a little smaller. It it may not, um, the 8.5 inch wheels may not deal well with potholes and stuff like that. But if you look at like more expensive models like Segway 9Bot Maxes, which are among some of the scooters that, that, that Zip use, uh, they use a sharing version, but we retail the, the privately owned version. They have 10 inch wheels, they're much better able to handle potholes and uneven ground. We have kind of seen out of, uh, we look at scooters and we consider what it is about them that we could make a little bit better or we could improve in some way. And we do kind of some aftermarket uh improvements like we'll include or we install front and rear suspension for some of the scooters we sell and that's something that can really round off a scooter nicely especially in relation to uneven ground and underdeveloped cycle tracks and stuff like that because like i've had a look over the last few days on my way to work and you want to see some of the the conditions that cycle tracks in dublin are in like like manhole covers in the middle of them and sometimes they just end and then they reappear out of nowhere so it's something that's going to have to be thought about in a more kind of consistent manner about how to apply cycling infrastructure for use with electric scooters also. You mentioned um, about the different types of devices and seeing what comes back in for repair and so on. For anyone thinking of getting one of these devices for Christmas, either for themselves, for a family member or for a younger person, which I'm very sceptical of, but what would be your advice? What are the key things to consider and how do you assess whether you know an average joe scooter that is very very affordable will stand the test of time and also be safe and durable for whether it is a commute to work or a commute to the shops whatever it may be yeah so i i have i have uh, five pieces of advice for anybody considering buying an electric scooter and they're not that far off what what anybody would advise somebody when you're buying anything that you don't know much about especially in relation to the christmas market so um I would first take a look at the company that you're buying from and I would have a look and see how long have they been around. Um, that can be done pretty quickly and easily by checking social media posts. You should always check the reviews of both the scooter across various sites online, but, but more importantly, the retailer or the seller that you're buying from. So you look for Trustpilot reviews and you're looking for the verified tick. So you, you're sure like that this is a, a real review that's come from a real customer. Uh, thirdly, you need to think about warranty and and primarily who is the provider of that warranty. So uh, as you'll know, Jess, the EU Directive on Consumer Rights entitles you to a minimum warranty of 12 months for any product purchased in the EU. Uh, It's not acceptable for a manufacturer to tell you that, or for a retailer to tell you that you can have a three-month warranty, and after that you need to go back to the manufacturer because you're entitled to seek warranty from either the retailer or the manufacturer, whoever, whoever, whomsoever you choose. Uh, the price, this is a big one for people because price is kind of subjective uh, or kind of, uh, what am I trying to say, like uh, expensiveness is, is, is objective. So we try to explain to people that although 400 euros for some people is a, a, a lot of money and you would assign kind of uh, a, a perceived value to something when it's, when it's 350 or 380, 
400 euro is the bottom line that you need to be spending for a, a teenager's or an adult scooter. Otherwise, you're buying something that's particularly low quality. And we have seen time and time again uh, misfortunate individuals into our repair centre with something they paid 350 for that ultimately costs them even more if they, th than it would if they just paid 500 on day one for something better. Uh, and lastly, I would try to look for somewhere that has a physical presence, somewhere that you can walk into, have a look at the product. Uh, you, can, you can ask questions from a real person and if it breaks, you can walk straight back in and talk to that same person. Mm, okay, they are some really, really good tips. Um, Charlie, in terms of the, the shared scooter services, so if somebody doesn't want to do all that brilliant research that Paddy has just outlined there now, or if someone is not sure that they'll use the scooter enough to, to warrant spending that kind of money, that's where you guys come in. But where will the scooters be? And is this just going to be a Dublin thing that, you know, if you live sort of within a certain diameter of the city centre, you'll be grand, but beyond that, good luck? No, like this is not going to be, uh, it's not going to be like Dublin bikes where, you know, they're predominantly in the city centre, but even if you go as far as Rathmines, Ranala, your area they're, they're not there and um, these scooters are going to be everywhere in dublin hopefully the local authorities will come together and put out a tender together like the local authorities in dublin and um, that's yet to be decided but i would imagine that um every single area in dublin should have access to electric scooters and um, you know it is in the suburbs where there are those public transport blind spots or those you know yeah the, the public public transport blind spots is kind of where scooters can really help, do you know what I mean? So um, we would expect scooters to be everywhere in Dublin and not just Dublin. You know, Dublin will be the first market. It's the, it's, it's, the, uh, it's the local authorities in Dublin have done the most work on scooter sharing already. With that being said, you know, we plan to launch in Cork, Galway, Limerick, you know, Kildare, um, all over. So um, we do think that eventually um, every town and city in Ireland will have scooters. Uh, it's just going to be a matter of time and, and how quickly the local authorities want them. I'd say some of them might sit on the sidelines and see how the, the trials or the schemes go in, in some of the larger cities in Ireland. But yeah, eventually, I think every town uh, will have electric scooters in Ireland. For anyone uh, listening to this now who's not sold on the idea of scooters, who may have some of the concerns that we outlined earlier in the piece, I want to give you both the floor uh, to address those concerns and talk about the opportunity that comes with these scooters and also talk to the, the people who will utilise them about the need for responsible use. So, Paddy, if I can start with you, because before we uh, came on air, I was saying to you that I see so many young ones, and I know I sound ancient when I say that, but like teenagers and children on electric scooters, they don't know how to use them responsibly. So I, t I think that does feed into perhaps some of the negativity that e-scooters have received in recent years. But what would you say to those who are not sold on the idea and then those who are going to utilise them? I think that uh, until such a time as the legislation has straightened itself out, there is no opportunity for the government to provide centralised information in relation to the safe usage of electric scooters. Um, I think that in the meantime, uh, the onus is really on the parents of young people to ensure that they are, are behaving in a manner that's responsible. The very first thing I would say to anybody getting on an electric scooter, whether they're a child or an older person, is you need to wear a helmet. Uh, what we always say to people when they come into the shop, when they're thinking about getting a helmet and they're asking, should they use one? We always tell them, if they're in an accident, we can replace their scooter, but we can do nothing for your head and you only get one. So 
Uh, I know, Jess, that you had concerns in relation to like kids flying about the place and they're, they're, they're up and down our footpaths and probably not behaving as responsibly as they could. And ultimately, that is uh, the messaging in relation to that needs to come from parents. So we would kind of reach out to parents and hope that they would ensure that their kids are behaving responsibly. Um, in relation to people who are thinking about getting an electric scooter, uh, so the Dublin City Council's Your Voice, Your Dublin, Your Voice survey said are found that 90% of respondents uh, live within 15 minutes of a primary school, a restaurant, a supermarket, a post office, and a playground. So in a lot of cases, there isn't a need for a car; it's just a habit. So what we need to do is to start rethinking how we make these short journeys, and we could and should see huge changes in our towns and cities as a result. Like I had a look this morning on Google Maps. I picked uh, all kinds of points between Ballymun and Stepaside on the M50. And with an electric scooter, there was no point on the M50 between Ballymun and Stepaside that was more than 30 minutes from Temple Bar. So that's something that people need to consider. You could save yourself an awful lot of time, you know. Once the legislation has straightened itself out, I think that's a huge opportunity for people to take back time that they spend sitting in cars, looking at red lights and, and getting frustrated in the morning and on the way home from work. So... Yeah, lots of opportunities there for people. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Charlie, again, in terms of people who may be a bit apprehensive about the introduction of scooters and scooter sharing around our cities, what would you say? Yeah, like the, the first thing I'd like to say is I'd kind of like to echo Paddy there. And I think he made a really good point that, you know, we all, we've all seen people misbehaving or ha- on electric scooters. Uh, and where there is no education or yet yeah, no no uh, centralized information about how to properly use these scooters, uh, you know, no regulation equals no education, no education equals bad behavior. Do you know what I mean? And that's just uh, until there's full legislation, like, you know, the RSA are, are kind of, they'll put out safety advice to, um, you know, make sure that people are wearing their seatbelt to make sure that when rider or car or drivers are overtaking cyclists, they're leaving adequate distance and things like that. Uh, and, and they will eventually be talking about how to properly ride an electric scooter, where to ride one, not to ride one on the footpaths and things like that. So I think uh, with regulation will come education. Um, so really looking forward to that. Um, anyone that's apprehensive about scooter sharing, I think um, if they've seen scooter sharing in other places in, in Europe, I think they probably have a right to be um, based on, you know, uh, the poor parking regulations and um, they just, you know, even from a from a business perspective, a lot of them would use, you know, gig economy employees rather than using full time staff. And there are problems in the industry. And so what I would say about scooter sharing is it's as safe and as ethical and as green as the operator that is selected, if that makes sense. So, you know. I would imagine that in, in Dublin, they're going to take a lot of learnings and a lot of lessons from scooter sharing schemes all across Europe. And I guarantee you that it is going to be safer than most of the other scooter sharing schemes. It is going to be greener. It is going to be more ethical and it will replace a huge number of car journeys and in turn reduce congestion in Dublin. Um, so it is for the greater good and it is great crack as well, which is worth mentioning. And um, yeah, really, really excited to, to get up and running here in Ireland. 
well brilliant stuff I'm very excited about this as I said we've been talking about it for a long time and it's brilliant to see that we are almost there Um, I would love to hear from you do you have any scooter do you use one are you excited to get involved and utilise services like uh, Zip Mobility and get around from A to B that bit quicker Uh, you can email techtalk at newstalk.com Charlie Gleeson from Zip Mobility and Paddy O'Brien from Loco thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk Thanks, Coming up next here on News Talk, I'll chat to the country lead for TCL. Tech Talk. Tech Talk. On News Talk. With One Sonic. High definition audio noise cancelling headphones designed in Ireland. Visit onesonic.com. Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. You can get in touch at any stage. Tech Talk at Newstalk.com is the email address. And what I think of it, uh, you can head on over to YouTube right now to watch the latest episode of Tech Bytes. This is our YouTube series where I put different tech devices through their paces to see if they are worth your money. And this week I was looking at the Cricket Joy, which I think is my favourite device of the year. And I know it's a big statement, but I love it. So this is a small cutting machine uh, and it helps you... It makes for you uh, Christmas cards, birthday cards, stickers, decals, anything like that uh, you can make with this teeny tiny little machine. It's around €150. I was blown away by it. I am a big fan of organisation and personalisation as well as a bit of make and do. And it just ticks so many boxes for me. So if you're interested in that, you can head on over to YouTube, search for News Talk and you will see Tech Bytes there. Now, as we know, there's no shortage of choice when it comes to smartphones. There are devices to fit pretty much every budget with big brands dominating the market here in Ireland. But in recent years, smaller players have been infiltrating the space and I'm delighted to find out more about one of them right now because I'm joined by William Patterson, who is the UK and Ireland Country Director of TCL. Um, William, you're very welcome to the show. Can you just start by telling us a little bit about the brands that fall under the TCL umbrella? Yeah, no, no problem. First of all, thanks very much for uh, inviting me along to chat. Much appreciated. Yeah, so um, in the Irish market, we have two brands. We have TCL, which is our, our parent brand. That's a parent company. Um, and we also have the Alcatel brand. The Alcatel brand's been in the Irish market now since probably 90 seven or 98 i think and the tcl brand we launched in the irish market in june 2020 right in the middle of a pandemic which was fun yeah i can only imagine that they're brands that although um you know people may not necessarily think that they have devices by them tcl in particular there is that that sort of sense of familiarity with the brand and talk to me about the types of devices that alcatel and tcl both do so, um, from an Alcatel perspective, uh, we have feature phones, you know, the, the original talking text products and 4G feature phones with cameras on them and so on, um, and some entry smartphones. Um, so, in the smartphone market, we basically go from zero up to 99 euros with the, uh, the Alcatel brand, and then above 99 euros, it's the TCL brand, uh, which is smartphones. Um, we also have tablets as well. In the same sort of price point, so zero to ninety nine is Alcatel, ninety nine above is is TCL. Um, we also sell what we call MBB products, which is um, MiFi boxes, allowing you to get take the cellular network and connect to it uh, with Wi-Fi, um, and CPE units, which are bigger 
MiFi boxes that go in houses and offices. Um, and we also make uh, audio products such as earbuds um, and audio products as well, such as uh, sound bars and so on. Okay, so you've given us a good overview there. Um, we have reviewed on the Pat Kenny Show here on News Talk uh, both TCL and Alcatel phones. And the thing that really struck me about the Alcatel devices is that I think it's kind of easy to make high-end smartphones these days. Just lob in a good camera and a decent battery life and a gorgeous screen and you're set. Whereas with the lower-end products, particularly under €100, Euro, it's a bit more tricky because you have to keep that price point but the consumer demands are so much higher now. You know, we don't accept average or below average in terms of performance, quality and so on. So how has Alcatel managed to do that whilst maintaining that low price point? Um, we, we've, we've really been doing that for years and years. Um, we've always been about bringing uh, feature set, specification, design to, to lower price points. Um, we focus on, and, and our strap line for Alcatel is great tech at a great price. Um, we firmly believe that you don't need to spend hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of, of euros to, to get a good, decent smartphone. Um, and we focus on getting as much value as we can into the product at those price points, while, whilst continuing to be a profitable, sustainable business, which, which we are. Um, and we will continue to do that, especially on the Alcatel brand. The uh, the Alcatel phone that we reviewed most recently was on Tesco Mobile and it was part of their back to school, back to college range in keeping with, you know, affordable price plans and an affordable phone. Is the student demographic very much the target for Alcatel or is it a, a broader um, catchment than that? We, we, we tend to find that in Alcatel... Um, it's it's the kind of brand and product where people buy up and down. What I mean by that is you'd maybe get a parent buying for their parent uh, an easy to use smartphone, very affordable, but you'd also find that parent buying for their kids their first smartphone or come back to uh, come back to school needing a new smartphone to take with them. So we we cover really our, our customer segment is both of those kind of parts. The key to it is people who want good value. And, and, you know, that's not ruled by an age or a particular demographic. So it's, it's about that value offering in the product. Yeah, as I said, I was very impressed with the Alcatel phone um, I reviewed in August or September. I, I just couldn't get over the price point for the quality of the device. And it's it's uh, it's the honest truth as well. Just the other thing about it as well is that um, we have a really, really low returns rate. It's, it's tiny, it's sub 1% um, in warranty returns, which um, on that kind of price point is pretty remarkable. So we focus a lot, even though we're making handsets at you know, 49, 69, 99 euros or whatever, um, we still demand that they work well, that they do what they're supposed to do and they last for people as well. There's nothing worse than you know buying something, you think they got a really good deal on it and it doesn't last. So um, we're, we're really pleased and proud of the uh, quality as well as the value we put in the product. Yeah, that's something that I often say, particularly when it comes to technology, because um, there's no, it's not good value. It's not a great deal if it breaks or if you only get three months out of it. So I, I do think, as I said, I, I was... I was struck by the quality of the Alcatel device. But I want to talk a bit more about TCL because the TCL phones I've reviewed 
in the last little while. For me, again, I was just struck by the, the quality and the price point. But it was competing with some of the bigger phone brands that people would be very, very familiar with, whether that is, you know, Samsung, Huawei, like th- those big players. When you decided to enter the Irish market with this brand, where did you envisage it sitting within the, the very, very crowded uh, smartphone market? Um, well, we were, we've always been kind of clear on, on what we think the TCL brand is about. Um, and the TCL brand is about democratising technology. It's about making great technology available to as many people as possible. And again, similar to that Alcatel ethos, you don't have to spend uh, you know, a thousand euros to get a really good smartphone. Most of our products um, so far have sat sort of 400 euros and below, um, which, is, which is fine, that, that kind of entry to entry mid segment. Um, we have focused on uh, the display of the product. So TCL, the, the group company, is uh, number two worldwide for making uh, TV screens and displays. So we're carrying that into the mobile product as well now. And it's, it's all about giving someone a really great handset, a great display, which we're very proud of. It's, it's an in-house display um, at a great price. So we don't you know, we, we never set out to compete against a particular brand. Um, we never tried to do that. We didn't set out to try and gain a certain amount of market share because you can very easily uh, chase that and start not making money, which is obviously not what we want to do. So we're very clear about the, the positioning of the brand and the products we're bringing into market. You entered the Irish market at an interesting time. You mentioned there about uh, the, the when the, the pandemic was hitting, but also when changes were happening with um, some other brands. So the, the example that I often cite is Huawei losing access to the Google Play Store. And that really did put a dent in um, how they performed, particularly here in Ireland. Did you see people turning to TCL or is there still a bit of work to be done in terms of letting people know about the quality of the phones, the price point of the phones and the yeah, just brand awareness in general? Well, you know, I, I would I would be uh, remiss if I said I don't, we, we didn't pick up any additional business because of what was happening with Huawei. Um, but certainly that, that's not why we want people to buy our product. We want people to buy our product because it's a great product. It's a brilliant price and again, a lot of value out of it. Um, we still have a lot to do as far as mobile is concerned with TCL. Um, we've still got a lot of uh, brand building still to do. And we're, we're right to the very beginning of this journey. It's only been a year, not even a year and a half yet, and you know, it was during a pandemic. Um, we've started well, but there's, there's more for us still to do, without doubt. Mm. So what does that entail and what does that look like for Irish consumers? Because as I mentioned, this market is, it's very crammed. I get texts in every single uh, week on the Pat Kenny show of people saying, I'm due an upgrade don't know what I need, don't know what I want, but I know I don't want to spend a grand on a phone. So is the is the price point going to be key in the messaging to get people to jump from some of the other brands that are out there to, to you guys? Well, I mean, if we go back to the 2020, so in June 2020, we launched two products, TCL 10 Pro and the 10L. 
And then in Q4, just a bit, bit earlier than this time last year, uh, we launched the TCL10 5G product, our first 5G product. Moving into 2021, we've got four TCL smartphones in the market just now. And then when we get to the end of Q1, beginning of Q2, we move into the TCL 30 series. So by building our product offering, the consumer will get to see more of us. We're also, um, we have other TCL products coming into the Irish market now, uh, which weren't here two years ago. So TCL TVs are now available, soundbars, audio products are now available as well. So we're, we're building up the awareness of TCL products within the market. Um, and we will continue, we will continue to do that. It, it, the 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 quality of the of the products I mentioned this a few times uh, really really struck me that they seem very durable. The screen quality is incredible. The body design is fantastic. How important is the aesthetic of the phones so that you are not putting out a, a more affordable product of lesser you know cosmetic value to the c- consumer because stuff like that really does matter. That that's massively important. Um, my own opinion, uh, your, your mobile phone is uh, the only the only real electronics product that you carry about with you. And if you go into a restaurant or a bar or whatever, you will actually sit it down in front of you. So it has to reflect you, and you have to be happy to show it to the world. So it needs to, it, it can't look thrown together. So it's really important that aesthetically, it looks fantastic. Um, you know, if you look at the TCL products, we use glass, we use all different types of materials. Um, to give people something that they really want to hold because, you know, you touch a mobile phone more than you touch just about anything else in your life at the moment. Yeah, it's such an important, it's it's a tool as well as, you know, an entertainment device. It is kind of all-encompassing for people. Do you think that the TCL brand will go up towards the more premium price point. We saw that with Huawei. We're seeing it a bit now with Oppo. Um, do you think the appetite is there or is it very much focused on sort of in and around the ballpark that you're at? It's um, for, for just now and for the just a short medium term, um, we will remain around, you know, that sort of probably 300 euros and, and below for just now. Um, I think talking to different analysts in the market, it looks as though the market might polarise a little bit over the next couple of years where you have very high end and then you have a kind of entry and entry mid segment and the bit in the middle becomes a little bit uh, less clear. Um, Our ambition is to bring more products into the market, start to create a TCL ecosystem with these different types of products. So you your smartphone, your TV, your smart speaker in the house, and start to bring these products together in, in a TCL home, for, for want of a better phrase. And we will start doing that, but we will do that below that sort of 300 euro uh, price point. We, we don't have any plans to go much higher on that just now. Although we do have the capability to do that. Um, I, I've seen one of your uh, reviews of the Samsung flip phone. And um, we have one of them ready to go, but we just didn't think the time was right at the moment. So we have that capability to make these more expensive products, but we only want to do them when we can really bring real value to it and it's the right time in the market. 
I think that's very, like, you don't need me to tell you this, but I think that's really, really smart. And I think it's something that will stand to the company because there's nothing worse than, you know, pumping product out without knowing where it's going to land and knowing if the consumer appetite is there. Um, We spoke to Dara Cassidy of Bonkers.ie a few weeks back about how mobile networks are changing. We have a lot of digital networks here now in Ireland and that's pushing people away from the the traditional bill plans that was 60 or 70 euro a month and then you pay three or 400 euro for a phone on top of that. Um, I do think consumer habits are changing and do you sense that as well and do you think that you're in a good position to offer people valuable or uh, affordable phones alongside more affordable mobile network plans, whether it is a digital network or, you know, pay-as-you-go even is making a bit of a comeback. Do you see that as a good partnership? Uh, absolutely. I mean, um, it's difficult for... We, we don't drive what, what the networks would like to do their plans and, and their pricings and so on. But it's really important for us to be able to bring to our customers. Um, and when I talk about our customers, I'm talking about the carriers and, and retail rather than our consumers be able to bring them technology that allows them to reach as much of the market as possible. Um, especially on, on something like 5G, we've just launched our CCL20R 5G product, um, which is incredible value. But it's about giving 5G to as many people as possible so they, they can reap the benefit of that. And certainly I think that's great for the carriers and for the retailers as well, to then be able to build different pricing plans and propositions around really good technology well as i said i've been a huge fan of both alcatel and uh, tcl from what i've seen so far and i am really excited to see what you do next and uh, where those products will fall within the wider tech ecosystem Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you thank you so much for joining us here on news talk you're more than welcome thank you very much for having me That was William Patterson, the UK and Ireland Country Director for TCL. Coming up next here on News Talk, we finally got a chance to try out Forza Horizon 5. John Riley gives his verdict next. Tech Talk on News Talk with One Sonic. High definition audio noise cancelling headphones designed in Ireland. Visit onesonic.com. Welcome back to the final part of this week's Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Tech Talk at Newstalk.com is the email address if you want to get in touch or you'll find me on Twitter at Jess Kelly NT. Uh, myself and John Riley have been talking about, probably me more than John to be fair, uh, with great anticipation uh, about the new Forza Horizon 5 game. This is my favourite of all the games and it is now available I've been playing it for the last few days. It's so impressive. And I am delighted to have John, who is the editor of the Effect.net, back with me uh, to talk through the game. John, how are you? Great, Jess. How are you? I'm good. As I said, we've been talking about this for quite a while now. I think every time you're on, I ask you, do we have any update? Do we have any update? And it's finally out in the world. Um, Tell me a little bit about the game first and foremost, and then we'll get into the review aspect. Yes, yeah, so as you said, this is one of the most kind of highly, highly anticipated titles kind of in gaming, well, w- racing titles anyways, if not kind of general gaming titles to, to launch this year. So um, it launched on November 9th officially kind of all across the world. There was a couple of um, 
options to do kind of an early access um, um, game game section of it or to play the game a bit earlier than everyone else. But um, yeah, it's out since the 9th and it's developed by a UK-based game studio called Playground Games, which is actually owned by Microsoft. So this game is really only going to, you can only play this game on the Xbox consoles and on PC. So it's not going to be on PlayStation for any, or any of your listeners interested in giving it a go. But yeah, it's, it's, it's getting absolutely astronomical reviews. It's currently sitting at like 92% on Metacritic and that's out of an average of 93 reviews. So it's the mm-hmm. highest rated, one of the highest rated games of the year. Okay, so before we talk through uh, the new version, for those who aren't familiar, and I don't know how you wouldn't be, but for those who aren't familiar with this series, talk us through the the, the concept of the game and previous iterations because I know that you were at the launch of the fourth version and were blown away by it. Yeah, absolutely. So Forza is kind of seen as Xbox's or Microsoft's attempt at like the racing sim slash racing or arcade racing game. It was really launched back in the day to take on the likes of Gran Turismo on PlayStation, which is kind of almost a household name amongst gamers as one of the best racing titles out there. So when Microsoft entered the gaming market, they wanted their own version of this. So they brought out what was called Forza Motorsport, which was a lot more kind of simulator based, a lot more kind of realistic and kind of serious, for want of a better term. And then as an option, shoot um, playground studios were tasked with creating a, a kind of a fun more easily accessible arcade style title and that was the birth of forza horizon so here we are forza horizon 5 and as you mentioned forza horizon 4 actually came out about three years ago now and that was launched um for again for just on the xbox t- titles and i was on the xbox console should i say and i was actually at the global launch over in england in, in goodwood which was an incredible experience and um, because the game itself was set in great britain and it really showed off kind of the last gen console and what it really could do. And now here we are three years later, Forza Horizon 5 set in Mexico, incredibly stunning kind of visuals on display and really showcasing the power of the new consoles on the Xbox Series X and Series S. Yeah, I have to say when I um, downloaded it the other day, um, I was incredibly excited because there was such high expectations as I said we've been talking about it for such a long time but when you have high expectations for something the fear factor creeps in that maybe it's not going to live up to those expectations maybe it's not going to look as good maybe there's going to be some bugs maybe it just won't you know meet the hype but I've read your review on the effect.net and I think I'm fair to say that you've been completely blown away by this one yeah, we, we came in with a 4.9 out of 5 stars um, for this title. We knew it was going to be good. The guys at Playground Games always have that extra level of polish that we've come to expect. Kind of what you see a lot with the PlayStation titles that they, you know, the exclusives on PlayStation are seen as the kind of the, the benchmark when it comes to polish and finish. And and Playground Games sits right up there with them. Like this game was only really officially announced, you know, it was expected to arrive inevitably, but only really was officially unveiled back in June. Um, so kind of from June to now, there was very little wait time, which is great for gamers to kind of know a game is you know announced in June and then launched in November. So you're only waiting about five months. And yeah, you know, it, the polish is there. The, the visual aspect of pushing the latest consoles is there. Like you're getting 4K, 60 frames per second, high dynamic range, Dolby Atmos sound, it, some kind of ray tracing effects when it comes to the audio in the game. There's like, it really is kind of like, a new benchmark in itself for the Xbox consoles and what can be achieved with open world racing games. So they've done an amazing job. One of the things I remember you talking about um, when it came to the previous version was that the colours and how vivid everything appeared on the screen alongside the, the soundscape of the game as well. 
that's something that stuck in my head from Force of Four from when you said it and it really does uh, come through in Five as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like Forza 4 kind of, or Forza Horizon 4 had a really kind of standout me- mechanic or kind of aspect to the game where it, it actually uh, transitioned to, through the seasons. So it'd be snowing, you know, during one playthrough. And then if you jump on a couple of weeks later, it could be the middle of summer. So it kind of it changed its seasons as the game kind of lived out its, its playtime. So here now, that doesn't necessarily happen in the news title, but the, the, the amount of incredibly visual kind of weather effects and there's like living sandstorms and there's like incredibly torrential tropical storms and you know unbelievable scorching sun on the deserts of Mexico so the kind of the the, the variety of weather um, patterns and weather effects along with just the variety of locales and biomes in this title from desert to jungle to city to village you know you've got the widest breadth of kind of um, experiences that you can imagine from kind of a virtualized uh, version of Mexico so they seem to have captured it quite you know astonishingly well. Yeah there are aspects of it that look almost movie like you know your brain kind of struggles to accept the fact that this is a game I think like aside from the gameplay which you will get to eventually I do think that the designers do need to get huge credit for just the beauty this is a game that is a joy to play yes and I don't know we've been gushing from the get outset but I think it's all warranted that the, the attention to detail you know they've they've captured like I think hours upon hours and hours of, of real life Mexican skies kind of to really capture the, you know, the passing of the clouds, the way the sun sets, the way the light hits different parts of the world, you know, be it the, the canyons, the, the, the jungles or the beaches. And it's all represented in, in stunning visual clarity, like on the, on the new consoles. And as you said, the, the developers really need to be commended for what they've achieved here. Not only, as you said, gameplay is coming, but, you know, gameplay is there, should I say, but just alone, just to stand back and take it all in as a kind of a living, breathing, virtual mix. It really is quite a sight to behold. So let's talk about the, the gameplay then. Talk us through what what the goal is and what you're supposed to be doing when you sit down to play. Yeah, so similar to the previous kind of Horizon titles, your, your job is kind of to to make a name for yourself in this kind of virtual world by setting up these various um, arenas or these various uh, stages or stadiums where you kind of take on different kind of racing um, pe- pedigrees, for want of a better term. So you've got you've got dirt racing, you've got road racing, you've got like um, off off road track racing, and I'm probably getting a lot of that wrong there. But just if you can imagine the the various different um, forms of racing in, in you see in different titles. So kind of like a rally game mixed with a street racing game mixed with just an open world racing game. So each one has their own kind of uh, difficulty settings or difficulty options, and you kind of have to always be on your A game to make sure that you're kind of putting your best car forward because there's I think over 520 cars in the game at launch so it's it's pretty important you pick the right one for the right track and even for the the correct weather conditions to make sure you can have the best grip when you're taking your corners and then you just got to go you know pedal, pedal to the metal and make sure you, you come out on top yeah this is why I love this game over so many of the other big titles that we talk about every time you're on there's no violence there's there yep. is skill involved and it's it's one of those ones that it's pure escapism. So when you come home yeah. from a long day or when you're working at home after a long day and you sit down, it's just something that it's like chewing gum for the brain. But there is skill. You do get better. You can get worse. You do have to be strategic as to, you know, what you pick and how you play it. And for me, it is one, if not the favorite game I have on, on both Xbox and PlayStation. 
Yes, yeah, so I'm just what's that saying? They say easy to pick up but hard to master. Mm. It's the definition of that. You know, anyone can play this game because it is very for, uh, forgiving if you can't really, you know, because I said it's more arcade style than it is um, simulator. So it it won't drive you into every corner if you don't break at the right second. But it really gives you the option to become a master of each car. The more you learn how they, how it works on the road, and you can tweak it, and you can really go in and tweak the pressure of the tires if you really wanted to, but you don't really need to either. But it's got that breadth there that I didn't necessarily have in the past. So it's kind of both for people like yourself that just want to jump on to turn their brain off and for kind of more diehard kind of race game, racing game fanatics that want to really go in and make not only the car look like, you know, in terms of designing the liveries or the, the, the kind of the vinyls on the outside, but also tweaking the engine and the tires and the suspension. So it's got a bit for, it's got a, pe- a, a piece for everyone. And yeah, like you said, I come home from a work, a day of work and all I want to do is switch it on and just kind of get lost in this kind of virtual Mexico and you just go from race to race. This, and I think you mentioned it earlier, the soundtrack is one of the best parts of this mm-hmm. entire game. Yeah, they, they, they really do curate some of the best, newest kind of tracks across kind of heavy bass to pop to dance to even classical There's a classical radio station on your on on all of the cars that if you want to kind of really, you know, take a, a Sunday drive and relax to some classical music, you can. And it's, it's just it's really, really quite um, amazing. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan. So that is Forza Horizon 5. You can play it on the Xbox One, Xbox One X, Xbox Series X and S, Windows PC and xCloud streaming as well on the desktop. Um, John, before I let you go, there was an Xbox, I don't know how many times I can say Xbox <laughs> in one link, but there was an Xbox anniversary celebration. Yes, so just on Monday, November 15th, um, Xbox streamed a 20th anniversary event, kind of a 20th, celebra- 20th anniversary celebration where it's it's actually been 20 years since the original Xbox came out. And I remember getting it with my, my brother at the time and just falling in love with it. And just obviously being a, a gamer all my life, it's one of those things that sticks with you when you get a new console into your home. So this is kind of to mark that date. You know, the console has been through thick and thin. The, you know, the brand itself hasn't seen, has seen some tough times and has, you know, right now is really in one of its its glory days um, and this event didn't really show off any new games per se but it kind of showed off some stuff that they're working on behind the scenes for, for the fans of the console and for just Xbox in general so one of the big things they announced was a six part documentary on the history of Xbox it's it's launching on December 13th and I'm, I think it'll be available on YouTube and a couple other platforms so it'll be free so you won't have to pay for it but it'll kind of show you the a kind of an in-depth documentary it'll dive into the making of the very first Xbox and kind of where, where we are now with the console so I'm actually really looking forward to that. Yeah, that does sound good. I think people are interested, particularly with the first versions of things. Like I, I often talk to you about my Game Boy. I still love all my Game Boys that I have. People do have a proper grow for game consoles. So I think that documentary will be really interesting. As you said, it's out on December 13th. Uh, we also got a bit of Halo action. Yeah, so, you know, we all know that Halo is coming. The actual, the game itself, the famous Halo title, the Halo Infinite is launching on December 8th, the full campaign. Finally, after being delayed a year, it's coming to the Xbox and PC. And it's getting, you know, it's it really is teeing up to be quite a, spe- a special Christmas for Xbox with this and Forza having launched. But we are going to actually finally get a Halo live action TV series. Like this has been rumoured or basically in development since 2005. So you know, almost 16 years ago. So it's been back and over 
over between develop between producers and directors. And at one point, I think even Steven Spielberg was meant to be involved. But anyways, he's fallen off by the wayside. But right now, as of last Monday, at this par- this special celebratory event, we've got our first little sneak peek. And I mean very sneak peek. It was only a couple of seconds of, of footage. But a new Halo TV series will be coming to Paramount Plus next year in 2022. And for your for the Irish listeners, um, we have confirmed you know that Viacom CBS has signed a deal with Sky here in Ireland that the Paramount Plus app and its programming will be coming to Ireland at the latter end of next year. So hopefully it'll be here in time for when this new show launches for any Halo fans looking to jump on to, to check it out. Did they also give uh, some insight into the backwards compatibility of some games? Yeah, see, this is a big thing that Xbox has been really striving for for its fans. Like it kind of does give them a really strong uh, one up over the likes of PlayStation where for years now, I think for God, I think it's nearly six years they've been working away at kind of making older Xbox, original Xbox and even Xbox 360 titles um, compatible on the newest consoles. So be it the last last generation Xbox One and now the new Xbox Series X consoles and Series S. So just at the event on Monday, they actually announced 70 new titles that will be backwards compatible all the way from the original Xbox. So that got a huge kind of... Um, support and kind of uh, praise from fans and kind of critics alike saying you know that the, the kind of the, the service they're giving to to their to the consumers is really great here to that if you bought an xbox one or an original xbox game and you still want to play it on your brand new 500 euro xbox series x the console will let you do that now so there's a i don't know the total number but this is quite a this is i think this is the last time they are able to do this because of kind of copyright and licensing agreements with different developers, but it's a huge win for 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 kind of nostalgia hunters that want to play those old games, but on the newest consoles, and they look the best they've ever looked. They get a kind of a frame rate boost. Some of them they'll get uh, increased resolution. They'll get automatic HDR. So they're going to look you know as best as you've ever seen them um, play out, but on the brand new consoles. Oh, that's brilliant! That is good news. Okay, yeah, it's always nice when we get a good uh, a bit of good news like that. Um, we as we mentioned there, you can read uh, John's full reviews uh, of all of the latest and greatest gaming titles on theeffect.net. John, thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk. Cheers, Jess. And that is all we have time for this week. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back in full on the News Talk app powered by GoLoud. Don't forget to hit subscribe so every episode appears on your device as if by magic. I'm back with Shane and Kira on News Talk Breakfast on Monday morning. John Friday's up next here. I will chat to you next week.